Do you know what self-integration means? Have you ever thought about why you have the pet peeves that you do? Do you know your why in the world? Have you ever had a negative experience with talk therapy? Brian Nixon joins me on this episode of Root Awakening, a health podcast to talk about relational psychology, how the relationship itself between the therapist and the patient can shape the healing process of both patient and therapist, and what integration of the self is, and how to identify if you have more integration to do. Brian is a psychotherapist, the founder of Mindful Counseling GR, he is the host of Why in the World podcast, and he is a co-founder of the Relationally Focused Psychodynamic Therapy Program. Brian is doing something very unique in the psychology world, which is studying the relationship that develops between patient and therapist instead of just focusing on the effects that the therapy is having on the patient. Brian realized through research and through his team of therapists that adult patients were often repeating childhood pattern relationships with the therapists. Often, the therapists were not aware that the relationship that was forming between them and their patient was actually the pattern that the client and perhaps the therapist needed to break. Now, this is a very complex philosophy, and that's why I'm talking about everything really slowly because it's kind of a lot of information to chew on at first. But really, Brian is looking at the relationship that develops between the patient and therapist instead of just looking at how much progress the patient is making. Instead of looking at the output only, he's looking at the process, the kind of, he talks about it as like an unseen energy that's developing between the therapist and the patient. So he really takes into account the therapist's part in the patient's healing process and how the therapist affects uh, how the patient behaves, which is so interesting. I think this is such an important topic to talk about because I know so many people in this audience have had unsuccessful or even traumatic experiences with therapy. And Brian is really working to train therapists and understand more about how to be able to really help the patient heal through therapy and not just keep the patient stagnant. I've had a lot of of clients who have said they've been to therapy before and they just felt like they were treading water. They didn't feel like anything was being improved. They just felt like the therapist was kind of letting them scoot by and letting them just talk to them and they listen and that's about it. And sometimes we need that, but Brian is really looking for a very authentic healing process for the patient. And also he's looking for accountability for the therapist to realize what their role is in this patient's life, what their true role is. Are they repeating a parent figure pattern for the patient? Are they somehow energetically becoming a parent for the patient? Are they becoming uh, something other than a therapist on a subconscious level? It's so interesting. Brian also talks about phenomenons that happen in human psychology that resemble some terms that we use loosely in the spiritual community, like shadow and trauma bond. Brian has different vocabulary for these phenomenons and explains them in his own way, which is really cool to see the common denominators between the more academic psychotherapeutic realm and the, the spiritual realm. 
He has wonderful explanations overall about how our past and our childhood can repeat itself in the present, in our adult lives, and how these patterns can be keeping us in loops that we don't want to be in. So it's a really interesting one. It's very cerebral. Check it out. Welcome, everybody. This is Root Awakening, a health podcast. Brian Nixon is here with me today for this episode. Brian is a psychotherapist. He is the founder of Mindful Counseling GR, GR being Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I live as well. Brian is also the host of Why in the World podcast, such a cool name for a podcast. And he is also the co-founder of the Relationally Focused Psychodynamic Therapy Program. I'm so excited to dive into this terminology with him. <laughs> but first, I have to share how Brian and I met because it's just so great how it all went down. Uh, Brian came through my line at the health food store, which those of you who don't know, I also work at a health food store part time. And we started talking, we found out that we both had podcasts and we both work in the holistic healing space, which was awesome. Brian just brought great energy into the store and we were busy talking about all this. And I think the store was also quite busy. There was a line forming, but when I get into a conversation with someone, I don't really, you know, I just let it go and uh, in, enjoy the conversation. So we said goodbye and the woman in line after Brian put her card in the machine. And right when I realized I didn't have Brian complete his transaction, the woman behind him in line paid for all his groceries. <laughs> and um, <laughs> luckily, Brian also realized that he hadn't paid yet. And we reversed the charges. The woman was super chill and zen about the whole experience, <laughs> which was great. But so was Brian. I had to ring him up for all his groceries again. So such a fun moment, but also a testament to how powerful a great meeting can be. We were, we were really mm. Immersed in conversation. So that's how we met. And we're going to get into what Brian does here in just a few seconds. But Brian Nixon, psychotherapist, founder of Mindful Counseling GR, host of Why in the World podcast, and co founder of the Relationally Focused Psychodynamic Therapy Program. Welcome to Root Awakening a Health podcast. Thanks so much, Emily. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk today. So, yeah, let's just start out. Tell us about why you decided to become a psychotherapist and work with the topics that you're currently working with. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of times when you ask a, a therapist that question, what you'll get is some version of, um, you know, I've, I've just always really liked listening to people and I'm a good listener and I like helping people. And, you know, they start describing these, these qualities or traits of, of sort of the archetype of a therapist and that they've for some, in some way done those things their whole life. Um, and yet what, for me, it feels like it's also lacking a little something to just simply describe it. And where my mind goes with that is um, actually to my most recent podcast episode with, uh, she's a relational psychoanalyst, which is its own terminology, but she wrote a book on um, sort of emotional inheritance, the intergenerational transmission of trauma, basically how trauma can happen in one generation and have sort of this ripple effect into future generations. And, um, 
And in that episode, she was talking about the research that she did for the book and how one of her mentors said, you know, research is always me search, Mm -hmm. meaning that there's something in me that is compelled or drawn to look into this thing, whatever that thing is. Um, And I think that's applicable across the board, you know, for anybody who's into engineering to holistic health to psychotherapy, it doesn't matter. There's um, some part of us that's, that's compelled to go in that direction. And so, um, you know, the answer for me would be like, I think it's a version of me search that um, some part of my own being, my own psyche um, longs for integration and um, is deeply curious about other people, but also deeply curious about myself. And, and it feels like an unending evolution in a way, you know, the, the older I get and the further I go in this field, um, it's, it's like the less I feel like I know with certainty, you know, like, and so, um, I would say there's a whole, a whole backstory of my entire life that has led up to this moment in certain ways. And it's been a winding road and, um, you know, I think at the, at the core of it, it's a, it's a longing for healing and and integration um, in myself and in others. Yeah, I totally feel that and totally agree what you say about no matter what your profession is, it's also a self-exploration process. And that's part of the motivation there for a lot of us, at least and me for sure. And I really truly believe that that's what creates someone who's really good at what they do, or they help to produce really effective results in whatever they do. And I tell my audience a lot, I'm always, you know, obsessed with self-study and looking into stuff and updating them on my struggles and also my, my benefits from doing all this work that I do in my personal life. But I always tell them I, when looking into coaches myself or support, even therapeutic support myself, I would look for someone who is also doing the work on themselves and Mm. continuing their education because to me, if not, it's a red flag. I think Mm -hmm. it's insane to think that we stop learning at a certain point in life. And it's important to keep pursuing that. And I think it shows that you are um, because you've, you've really integrated that in, in your work as well. And we'll get into that a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, the importance of doing work on yourself, um, therapeutic work on yourself as a therapist. And mm-hmm. I think it shows that you're, you're really meshing that philosophy with your purpose in life. Like you're fully, you're all in, you're all in mm-hmm. and uh, married to, to these topics and fully passionate about them. Uh, it's not a motivation of, yeah, at the end of the day, that's kind of the motivation. It sounds like, would you agree? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I was in graduate school, we had a, a professor who said uh, frequently, and this was sort of the maybe the mantra of the school too, on some level, was this idea that you'll never be able to take people to places you haven't been willing to go yourself. And so this really high premium on the, the need to do your own work, to um, explore your own wounds and how they, how they show up in the here and now in your way of relating or you know, the way that you just show up in the world, it's, it's all there. And so the idea that somebody can be 
um, an expert in something without actually having sat in the other chair is a bit absurd to me. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I mean, in my opinion, I think that's what we're starting to see in Western medicine. Just in my experience, I've, I've had chronic health imbalances for many years now and going into the Western doctor's offices that I did and having them just kind of brush off what I was experiencing and like, oh, you're, you're doing this wrong and here, take this pill. It's so cold and impersonal. And it, you really get to the point where if you have an experience like that, it, at least I'll speak for myself. I got to the point where I was wondering, do they even know what I'm experiencing or am I just like checking boxes, you know? So that's something that is kind of becoming a topic these days, the, the difference between mm-hmm. Western medicine and holistic health. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into, let's just dive right into the terminology here. So you mentioned some really interesting terminology that I'm super excited to unpack with you. When you're describing mm-hmm. your work and what you talk about on your podcast, the Why in the World podcast, you talk about relational, psychodynamic, and psychoanalytic topics. So what, mm. what does that mean to you? We'll start with psychodynamic. What does psychodynamic mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. They're, they're actually, you know, linked categories, psychoanalytic and psychodynamic. Um, in the whole field of psychology emerged out of the realm of psychoanalysis um, and like the work of Sigmund Freud and all of those folks in the, at the turn of the 19th or the 20th century, I guess. Um, and so, so psychoanalysis was sort of the first model of, of therapy in a way. Um, certainly some of these ideas predated that in philosophy and different realms, but, um, the word psychodynamic emerged out of psychoanalytic tradition. And I think in the, the most basic way I can describe it is, is like, um, it speaks to something of an unconscious process, meaning um, there are things about being who we are that we are aware of, that we identify with, that we would say, this is me, this is who I am. Uh, and those things exist on a conscious level. They're like the iceberg metaphor of there's, there's a tip of an iceberg that's above the surface of the water. Um, and the water line would represent what's conscious and what's unconscious. And uh, and, you know, a small percentage of an iceberg exists above the surface of the water. And so everything that I say that I am, and it's not that it's untrue, it's just that it's not fully complete. Um, and beneath the surface of the water or outside of our conscious awareness is a whole world of other parts of us. Um, and that in that space could be all sorts of things. Like I, I think of what it was like to live in West Michigan growing up and, and the culture of, of this area. And, you know, the idea of how we as West Michigan folks handle anger, for example, is a, is a good one. Like it's, it's a disavowed emotion for the most part, um, or it's an explosive thing that comes out in the form of, of aggression or violence or acting out in some sort of way. Um, but and, and so like when you grow up in a, in a culture that disavows anger and basically says, you're not okay if you're angry, what happens to your anger? It goes underground somewhere and, and it, it, it's no less there. It's just outside of my awareness. And so 
you'll hear people say, well, I'm not an angry person. And for me, it's like, well, where did your anger go then? Because mm. anger is a human emotion. It's on the spectrum of what it means to, to be a human um, and can actually be a really useful energy if you are conscious of it and can integrate it. I think all healthy boundaries have some, some twinge of anger to them. There has to be some part of me that's saying, no, like enough, this, I'm not willing to do this. I am willing to do this. And it might not be anger in the way that we think of it, like this yelling or attacking or, you know, some sort of violent acting out, which I actually think is not anger. It's actually the inability to hold one's anger. And so it's a, you know, that kind of acting out is a release of the energy without taking responsibility for it. Um, and so psychodynamic, what I mean by that is, is that there are, are ways that we're being influenced by things that are outside of our awareness. And so in therapy, for example, um, you know, I kind of think of it as there are two parallel tracks running in any therapeutic relationship and probably in any relationship outside of that realm too. Uh, and the two tracks in my mind are um, what we're doing consciously. So a patient comes in to see me and we sit down and the, the initial stage is maybe some storytelling. I'm learning and about their, their history and their life and what brings them to therapy. And we're talking about the different uh, maybe struggles that they're having and what they want to work on and, and all of that. And then that sort of moves into thinking about like, well, how are we going to work with these things? And so you know, I was looking the other day and there there's over like, I found one website that had like over 70 different types of therapy listed, like different styles, like cognitive behavioral therapy or EMDR therapy or, um, you know, internal family systems or somatic therapy. I mean, there was the list just was endless um, in terms of ways people can practice therapy. And all of that, I would say, exists in this conscious track. It's the technique, it's the tool, it's the, the thing we're doing. Um, and what a lot of therapy models don't take into account is this other parallel track, this unconscious or unknown track that's happening simultaneously. Um, and that there's something forming between myself and the patient that is what we would call the relationship, the therapeutic relationship. And embedded in that relationship is my subjective experience, my, my own unconscious is mixing with theirs. And so this, um, I don't know, it's almost like something's being co-created and it's usually not explicit initially. Um, and, and a lot of therapy doesn't ever attend to it. Um, and so let me think of an example here. Uh, one, way, one way I like to think about it as an example would be, um, so I supervise a lot of therapists as well and train therapists in, in working in this particular way. Um, and often when you're supervising, you know, like a therapist might say, oh, I've got this really, really great patient who uh, they come in, they're motivated, they want to talk about what's going on for them. And then they list out what their symptoms and their problems are. And we, we kind of 
write all that down and then we come up with a game plan and I've got tools and homework for them to work on. And then they leave and they go do those things and they come back and they tell me how great it's been and how this is really helping them in this way. And then I'm excited and they're excited that, that it's going so well. And all of that's on that conscious track, right? But the unconscious piece might be that they're actually with you as the therapist repeating some part of what was wounding to them in childhood. Mm. Um, and so maybe the backstory is something like, um, you know, high, high level achievement and performance was demanded in their family. Right. And so they had to get good grades. They had to excel at activities that they were doing. Um, and when they did excel, they received affirmation and love and warmth from their caregivers. And when they didn't excel at those things, maybe there was shame or ridicule or um, something along those lines. And so when you start to feel into the work with, with a patient and what, like, it's the, the question of like, what the hell are we getting caught up in here? Like, mm -hmm. what are we creating that we don't realize we're creating? And so to access that, you might have a, a feeling or um, maybe it's a, a feeling even as a physical sensation in the body, something that cues you off to like, there's more going on here than just they're doing their therapeutic homework and we're both real happy about it. And so you, you start to attune to like, oh my gosh, like we're actually getting caught up in the very thing that's never worked for you. Mm. Um, and you're, you're essentially in this position of trying to earn my approval by being an excellent therapy patient. You're doing your homework. You're getting all A's. You're excited. I'm excited. And we're really feeding off of that. But underneath that, there's actually a deep core wound. And now we need to, we need to actually talk about that. And what happens if you disappoint me or what happens if you, you know, you have an off week or, or whatever, like what emotional charge gets stirred up in that? And how do we, how do we begin to look at that as well? And the idea being that the unconscious repeats these patterns of, of our early traumas and wounds. Um, they, they happen again and again in relationship after relationship. And, um, you know, you often see this in romantic relationships, who people choose to be with, where maybe a relationship falls apart and they, it was real painful and devastating. And they, they sort of consciously swear, like, I'm never going to be in a relationship that's like that again. And then they enter into a new relationship and it's the best thing they've ever experienced. And they can tell you all the ways that it's completely different than the previous relationship was and why it's going to be so much better. And then over time, inevitably, those same patterns play out again and they find themselves in another situation that they, they consciously swore they would never be in. Um, and the reason that I think our, our unconscious wounds repeat themselves is not because we're, we're neurotic or we just like to suffer, but I really believe that there's some core part of our psyche, our soul, our being, however you want to describe that, that relentlessly longs for healing and that healing comes through rupture and repair. Um, and so it's like that part of us is repeating these patterns over and over and over again in in hopes that those patterns get discovered and worked through to a different outcome than original, the original outcome. 
but it's also so good at creating those same patterns again and again, that often the same outcome plays out, which then deepens the original wound and has, has us doubling down on our defenses and doubling down on our survival strategies. And we just get deeper into that hole. And so a psychodynamic model of working is taking that into consideration and constantly trying to attune to what we're, what we're being pulled into together. What are we co-creating that we don't know about yet? Um, that there's the known and then there's the unknown, the, the, the part of us that, well, one, one author said it this way, uh, that there's a pragmatic part, it's the things we're doing. And then there's an enigmatic part, a mysterious part that we're, we're getting, getting pulled into. And so it's really something to do with holding the tension of both of those tracks in, in our mind while we're doing the work and knowing like it, we're eventually going to get caught up in something that is, is the deeper work. Yeah, that's so fascinating. It's so fascinating and always cool to me that the guests that come on this podcast just, it just manages to line up with what I'm talking about to my audience lately around the time of the recording. It's so cool. So <laughs> Ryan, what I'm hearing you say is that Okay, so in the, in the spiritual community, we talk about these types of relationships falling into the same relationship patterns that we had in childhood, the same relationship mm -hmm. dynamics. We call that a trauma bond. Do you mm. also use that terminology? I'm familiar with the terminology for sure. Um, let, me, let me see if I, how I think about that. Um, you know, I think it can be a trauma bond. I don't think it's necessarily a trauma bond because one way I think, and maybe we just have a different way of, of framing that out. And so you can, you can tell me if that's the case, but the way that I've thought about it is that a, a, a trauma bond um, is like, we're drawn to each other because we've experienced similar traumas. Um, maybe something along those lines. And um I think what I'm talking about would certainly include that. And, and maybe it's also more than just that sometimes like that it's that we're maybe drawn to repeat our traumas. And so maybe I guess that, I guess I could think about it that way too, that a trauma bond might just mean I'm, I'm drawn into relationships that allow me to repeat my traumatic patterns. Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of a long way around my thinking about that, I guess. Cool. Yeah. It's interesting to hear your thoughts on that. And I know like in the, well, in my eyes, in the spiritual community, these terms or like the terms that I'm mentioning, like trauma bond, it can get used and used and used and used. And eventually it kind of morphs into something else where you just say it because mm -hmm. that's what you hear most often around social media and stuff like that. So I think that the spiritual community has sometimes a way of commercializing different terminology. So I, it's, it's mm -hmm. nice to hear your thoughts on it as well from a, from a psychoanalytic perspective and uh, maybe a more academic perspective as well. And uh, I love this. I love this concept because what you're talking about here, the pattern that the patient can fall into with the therapist and how that relates to what we could be doing in our romantic relationships as well. I forget 
that these types of dynamics can exist outside of a romantic relationship. So I always think, okay, I know that I'm going to be in my mind, it's, I would say trauma bond. So I know I'm going to be by default trauma bonding with suitors or dates if I'm not careful. I need to really dial into that. And I've just become aware of my patterning really this year, deeply mm. aware of that. And, and maybe some, some subconscious stuff I've been working on with hypnosis meditation. That's my way of kind of doing ther- like some kind of therapeutic support right now with myself. But uh, I always think about it in the, in the context of romantic relationships. And it's really important to know that these types of dynamics, these patterns can develop in friendships and can develop mm-hmm. just with a stranger that you happen to meet very quickly. I notice that shift uh, once in a while now that I'm more, a little bit more aware of the subconscious, I can see, whoa, that person, that person's energy, whatever it was, totally uh Allow, allowed me or I allowed myself to like drop in the back seat and become submissive to that person because of our energy dynamic. Why did that happen? You know, and it can also happen with your support system, therapeutic support system, your mentors, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think that's so, so fascinating and so cool that you have noticed this and become really interested in this and are working with other professionals in the field to eradicate some of these patterns that can come up. And Mm -hmm. I was telling you, I was telling Brian before we started recording that I think his work is so important and I'm really just learning what he's doing right now because literally our meeting was just at the health food store and we're like, hey, let's just set this up, this podcast episode up. So I'm learning really in real time more about what he's doing. And I'm just so excited to hear about it because my clients as a self-development coach, and really it's like holistic health coach, self-development coach. I don't have any qualifications besides a certification in Ayurveda, which is ancient Indian lifestyle, herbal health support. It's very general, but taking herbs for better health, having a more regulated lifestyle for better, better health. So really nothing in the psychology realm, but I do like to talk to people and I do like to support them emotionally, however I can. So I have Mm -hmm. clients come to me. Most of my clients, maybe 50% of my clients have seen therapists in the past And I'm pretty sure 100% of those clients who have seen therapists in the past were unsatisfied with their experience Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. one, they felt like they were treading water and they weren't going anywhere. Two, they felt uh, really unsupported, like they felt um, judged by their therapist. Or three, um, they felt like I guess they just felt like they weren't, they weren't being listened to and it wasn't helping. And I've met people, um, non-clients, but I've met people and, and really heard people say really in this past year, when I've been looking into therapy more, my mom and I are going to start doing therapy soon. I've, I've been tuning into really listening to what people have been saying about their therapy experiences. And I heard a woman the other day say that she's been in therapy for 14 years and she just hasn't Mm. seen a lot of progress from that and that is so terrifying to me and I think a lot of us 
who have gone through therapy have felt a version of that. And it's so cool that you are existing, doing your thing Mm. and uh, trying to change the parts of therapy that perhaps aren't working or just trying to really take a look at what's happening here between the client to therapist relationship and what can we do to optimize that? What can we look at that isn't being looked at, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, as you say, that is, uh, you know, just a sense of, of sadness and grief that, that that's the, the experience that so many people have of therapy. And, um, I didn't say surprise comes to mind because like that does not surprise me. Um, and I, I have some thoughts about that. I think what you said earlier about like, um, you know, the, the medical model of, you know, not really feeling heard or seen and that, but really, I think what happens is things get distilled down to a cluster of symptoms and which then cues something in the practitioner's mind, whether that's a physician who's medically working with you or a therapist uh, that, oh, this cluster of symptoms requires this form of treatment. And um, so I know what to do and here's, I'll tell you what to do. And something of the human connection gets lost in that. Um, you know, there was, I don't, I'm trying to remember when the shift happened, but there was a movement away from these more depth oriented types of therapy into what's known as more of like a cognitive behavioral model. Um, and these days, a lot of the versions of therapy that I mentioned are offshoots of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and with cognitive behavioral therapy, you have sort of the entrance into a medical model of doing therapy. Um, and so it, it becomes about listening to symptoms, finding a diagnosis, and then executing on a treatment plan that's going to help those symptoms. And the intentions are good. Um, but what gets lost, again, is this unconscious relational pattern thing that emerges between us um and and sort of this method of working that's largely driven by a combination of things like um the insurance industry for example uh has has their hand in in a lot of this like they want measurable outcomes and they want them now you know they want to be able to see the progress that's being made some insurances will only authorize a certain number of sessions. And so they're going to, they're going to pay for X number of sessions. And then in that time, you need to show exactly uh, the progress that you're, you're making in in order to like request more sessions or something like that. Um, And so there's this innate pressure built into the system that comes from that, both for the therapist and for the patient. Um, And Again, it's uh, like it, it, it's a movement away from engagement of two humans together in a room trying to connect and, and more into right and wrong ways of thinking. Like cognitive behavioral therapy is largely focused on identifying faulty thought processes and the behaviors that result from those faulty thought processes and 
you know, and essentially the therapist helps identify what the faulty thinking is and you insert proper thinking and then, you know, the behavior changes and, and that's, that's the idea. But the problem with that is that it puts the therapist in the role of expert and the one with sort of the, the authority and the power um, to say what's right and what's wrong and what's, you know, working and not working. Um, but what's in, in human encounters, what's really happening is like Carl Jung, he was a, a famous contemporary of Freud's and he was much more uh, spiritually inclined, I would say, than others. But he said that the meeting of two personalities is like uh, the mixture of two chemical substances and that if anything happens, both are transformed. And so I think we've lost something of that, of the therapist being immersed in the work um, and this pressure to be the expert and to have the answers and, um, and that sort of thing. And so I think a lot of times this other track that I'm talking about where we get pulled into something that's really trying to reveal itself to us and that we have the opportunity to work together um, to, to heal and to work towards a different outcome than the original wounding outcome gets lost. Many therapists aren't even thinking about that. Um, and if it does come up, you know, the training says, you know, you got to push your stuff out of the room and get back to just following where the patient is going and, and that sort of thing. But the very thing that you're trying to push out of the room might be the clue as to what's happening in the space between that is, is begging to be discovered. Um, and so I think part of my why in the world is, is around this idea of helping myself, first of all, like really stay conscious in this space as much as I can and be thinking about these things, but then also training other therapists to um, develop a mind and a, and a being around it that, um, you know, the word psychotherapy, interestingly, like the 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 root of that in the original language it literally means a healing of the soul mm. and and so it's a it's quite a reduction to go from that to a cognitive behavioral where it's about the way you think and the way you behave only um and so i guess part of what i'm hoping for and aiming for is a return to this much more immersive and holistic version where we're fully embedded in it and participating, not just um, exerting some sort of expertise, mm -hmm. which requires vulnerability and surrender on the part of the therapist too. You know, like I need to be willing to get caught up in something and, and, and say like, what is it that's going on here? Like, you know, how are our two chemical substances mixing and what is the third thing that's being created as a result of that mixture? that I have a, a role and a responsibility that is co-creating this dynamic too. It's not just that you're the one with the problems and I'm the one with the solutions. Yeah, I love it. It's so cool. It's like both parties are taking responsibility, like they're taking their own responsibility, right? Like they're, they're being a, both mm -hmm. being aware of themselves and it's not just directed at one person. It makes so much sense and really cool 
really, really just interesting to hear you describe these topics in your way. Hmm. Over the past maybe eight months, I have been working with this kind of hypnosis meditation technique to kind of dive into my subconscious or to really dive into my subconscious and start to link what is bothering me currently in life with what happened in my childhood and Mm -hmm. uncovering those memories because I'm one of those people that just can't it's so hard for me to remember almost anything from Mm -hmm. childhood. And I know often that's a sign of um, trauma, whether it be, I love the, the, the way of saying big T or little T trauma, like, you know, really intense trauma, physical abuse, really intense emotional abuse, or just a a teacher saying one thing to you that uh, you could have easily misread or you felt intuitively that was true and really hurt you when you were young. Anyway, so I'm going through these hypnosis meditations to do that. And part of this process that I'm learning, it's uh, it's from this company called To Be Magnetic. It's actually actually a manifestation mm. program. Uh, okay. Have you heard of it, Brian? I haven't heard of that. I'm familiar with like the manifestation idea and, and some of that for sure, but I've not I've not heard of that program, no. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And I didn't I didn't really do it for manifestation. I, I learned they have a podcast too. listen to their podcast. And I realized, Oh, I need this. I, mm. I need this. Like I need therapy. And, um, uh, I think they're two, they, they can go very well side by side and they actually recommend that. Uh, but this was, this process was just in my means at the time. So part of the philosophy in this process that I'm learning is that the triggers, what they call them triggers. So the things that come up in your life that activate you in a quote unquote, it could be, I guess, negative or positive, but what's most well identified by me at least is the negative feelings. So if something comes into my life, if someone says something to me that really bothers me, activates me, um, let's say someone talks shit to me on DM on Instagram. Like sometimes I release podcast episodes that are a little controversial and people will message me and say, I can't believe that you put that out there. You're putting me to shame as a nurse or whatever. And Mm. that, that could be something that could bother me. It's a, it's a weird example because I'm actually really interested in the folks who contact me like this, but there, there have been some times where I got angry at these people or why do they think they know what's best for me or what's best for other people why can't they just mind their business so Mm -hmm. that activation inside of myself instead of instead of me saying they're fucked up or they're wrong I instead look at the trigger as okay, what inside of myself is being activated and why am I being activated about this topic? Or like road rage is a good example that someone helped me uncover. If I get mad because someone cuts me off on the highway, why? I do, it's not necessary for me to get mad. I might just say, okay, what? go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to slow down. Mm-hmm. You go for it. I could say, oh, maybe they're having a really bad day. Why does it bring out these emotions that it's bringing out? Why am I letting it ruin the next hour of my life? There's a reason there. It's not, that doesn't just always happen. There's a reason. 
for that. So mm-hmm. that could be because, well, maybe I feel like I've been put last a lot in my life, or maybe I feel mm-hmm. disrespected a lot. I've felt disrespected. I haven't felt listened to or seen or prioritized. Um, starting to look at what activates me and gives me very specific emotions that are often really uncomfortable. Uh, looking at that as in my view, I have kind of this very spiritual perspective, but in my view, it's, well, God is helping to show me what I need to work on within myself by mm. creating all of this, by, by making someone come in to this health food shop and say something to me or have a certain energy around me or ha- making someone cut me off. So I start to really identify this reaction I'm having and link it to something that needs to be healed inside myself. And I think it's so cool how you're, you're kind of describing around the realm of a similar situation in that Mm -hmm. these patterns that we keep repeating in our lives are there for a reason to show us what we have the, the possibility of changing and what, what, has become of our lives like what how we have developed like this and what we need to look at so yeah curious about about your thoughts now does that does that sound kind of like a similar circumstance yes i i would definitely say yes to that um and i think you're touching on some really critical points with what you're saying um like the idea of linking to the past what's happening in the present is is a huge part of what we're doing. And a lot of times, um, you know, we all have a resistance to looking back at what happened in the past, almost like, what can I do about it? It doesn't, it happened so long ago. There's, there's no no point in focusing on that. What, what are we supposed to do about it? And I actually spend a lot of time focusing on what's happened in the past, because I think what's happened in the past is still happening in the present. There's this really great quote by William Faulkner, who said that the past is never dead. It isn't even past. And, and this idea that what, what we took in, what got ingrained into our being back then, it became sort of our lens through which we view the world and what's true of the world and what's possible in the world. And, and so there, the past and the present and the future are always in this, in this dance with one another. you know, they're not as separate as we categorize them out to be. Um, and so, yes, this idea of, of linking, um, not just to identify what happened back there, but to also say, and it's still happening now. And how do we work that through in the here and now so that we can move into the future in a more integrated and expansive way where we have more access to parts of ourselves that maybe got shut down when we were children, um, you know, that sort of thing. And you're, you're making another huge point around the need to take a look at what's activating us in the present moment. You know, it's easy. That's those two parallel lines. Again, it's like, I get cut off in traffic and it's easy to say, you know, forget that, like that, that jerk cut me off and that's about him and I'm pissed off about it. So I'm going to like flip him off. I'm going to cut him off and, and let it lie there as like, it was just about that incident. But when it carries that level of a charge and that sort of activation, I think there's a lot of wisdom in asking ourselves the question of like, what's really going on here. 
You know, what's the thing behind the thing? Um, and it takes me to another quote by Carl Jung, who's, you know, whose work I'm a big fan of, but he said that everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. And so there's this whole phenomenon um, that's, I mean, we've all heard the term projection, like you're projecting your stuff onto me. Well, that's a psychoanalytic idea. And what a projection is, is essentially some part of myself that I, I can't or won't or uh, am unable to integrate into who I am. And so I project something in me that feels bad out into the world so that I can either fix it out there or attack it out there. Um, and so this idea of like, as a therapist needing to do our own work in order to help others in, in one sense is a way to retract our projections as much as we possibly can. Um, many, many therapists go into this field, having never been a client themselves or a patient where they're actually working on their own woundedness. And so the things in themselves that they can't bear, they end up projecting into their patients. And then they try to fix that, that symptom in their patient, not realizing, wait, I'm actually working on myself as I work on this person. And there's some critical part of this other person that I'm not attuned to because I can't retract my own projection. Um, and so I think that work that you're, you're describing is, is critical and important work. Yeah, totally. I love, I just love all your quotes. I'm typing them out <laughs> as you're <laughs> saying them. Cause I'm like, these are all so, so profound to me and really hit me, uh, hit me deep. So yes. And this process, Brian, is the only time that I have seen noticeable difference in my behavior. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. crazy. And it's not like it's instant. It takes a lot of time and I'm, I'm excited to do it with therapy side by side, but wow, it's, I am someone who was addicted to prescription pills, unprescribed back in the day, alcohol. So I am someone who has really gotten into a lot of patterns in life also uh, with relationships. Anyway, so I am, I have known, I guess I've known that I've had patterns for a long time, but as I started to realize what those were and I wasn't alone, we're all just kind of doing that in our own way. And then I started to look into these, these concepts, maybe in a more uh, spiritual realm, but kind of some very similar common denominator to what you're talking about. I started to become more aware of them. And as I become more aware of them and then did like the the therapeutic work or the hypnosis subconscious work on the side, I've really been able to finally see a difference in how I'm responding and finally have like a, just something that I would identify as a higher self-worth behavior in mm. different situations. All of a sudden I'm realizing, oh my gosh, that thing, if someone's cutting me up, I'm actually still kind of working on that. So it's not a great example, <laughs> but like it's me something, too. right? Yeah. Um, something that would normally bother me. Oh, like my dad saying something to me. I live with my parents and we, we've had, you know, quite a bumpy relationship. Something that my dad would say to me typically that would normally bother me so much. All of a sudden I'm like, wait, hold on. It's, this is not bothering me anymore. So it's not only is it so I think these concepts are just so true to human behavior, but also when being aware of them and taking certain action steps, you can actually change them once you're aware mm -hmm. of it, which is so cool. Like that's the other side of it. It's, it's, yes, mm -hmm. it's the awareness, but it's also the ability to like 
not be as triggered about these things anymore or as often or whatever you see you see a change and i was going to ask you about oh what does integrated mean because that's also that's really a word that i've been thinking about myself and uh, i'm still not really sure what that means yeah 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 well <laughs> back to carl jung um <laughs> he he defined health as the ability to hold opposites in tension rather than split to one side or the other, that it's all this or all that. Mm. Um, and integration in my mind is a part of that, developing that capacity to hold opposites in tension mm. and the opposites within the self first, right? And so um, it would, it's, it's kind of what you said when you said, I'm still working on that, you know, like uh, about like, cutting people off in traffic or, or whatever, you know, that there's still some shadow element that comes up in me. And rather than project that out into the world and say, it's something evil out there, it's, it's the capacity to go, how is it also in here, in me? Like this, there's something in me that I, I consciously am repulsed by, and I don't want to believe that it's part of who I am, but it is. And and to integrate it means to give it a seat at the table, to be able to welcome it and say, you know, here you are, this part of me that I've disavowed, that I've not let have a voice that um, maybe on one level seems unsavory, but at a different level it is representing some part of me that needs to, to be part of the whole. And, mm -hmm. um, and so integration is on one level, maybe this is a simplistic way to describe it, but like allowing our shadows to be known to ourselves through whatever channel we can, you know, whether that's the work that you're doing or the work that I'm doing um, and, and being able to acknowledge our own shortcomings and um, parts of ourselves that we don't want to believe are true. And, um, you know, we live in a culture that's so divided and split, you know, that's true politically, it's true religiously, it's true racially, it's true um, in so many ways where, like, there's no integration in our culture. And you see that in the stance that, you know, let's just look at the political parties, for example, that there's two primary political parties, and the stance on both sides is that we own the truth and you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, you're actually trying to kill me <laughs> on mm -hmm. some level. You're trying to harm me. And so I need to destroy you before you destroy me. And so I think culturally, like we look at that and it gives us a picture of what's fragmented in our own individual beings, our own individual psyches that um, instead of somebody on the on either side of the aisle saying the things i hate about the other might actually be telling me something about myself as well and how do i identify it in myself first and and give it a voice and have a dialogue within myself about it um you know if we're not able to do that then we're going to keep projecting our stuff onto others and and making you know, evil or, you know, the parts of ourselves that are, that we don't want to look at, we don't, we, we look at it as other people's problems instead of it's something that I have to own. 
Um, and so I, I think, again, integration is, is something of that idea of letting the parts of myself enter into dialogue with them, with each other. Yeah, cool, cool. That gives me such a good idea. And it's, I love that you bring up divisiveness because man, it's, it's, that's something else that I've just seen the evidence of in my life. There are just a mm -hmm. few topics that I've really just seen the evidence of in my life. And that's so refreshing because I can see proof that this is what works for me or what doesn't work for me at this point in time. And that's so we don't, I don't get that with every topic and that's cool when I get that. So one of those is, you know, the subconscious work that I've been doing and looking at life, the way I started to look at life. Okay. If I'm getting bothered, what, like you say, um, how can I into further integrate and, and own or take responsibility for how I'm feeling in life. And then the second one is how in my world, divisiveness does not work. And it actually makes us really easy to be controlled, to be so, mm -hmm. I'll, you know, talk about myself, really easy for me to be controlled, really easy for me to be sold to, really easy for me to adopt ideas out of guilt instead of mm -hmm. something that I think is really true or uh, some uh, a concept that I'm really passionate about. I'll take action because of guilt, not because of passion. Mm -hmm. And I just noticed I was, you know, really far on one end of the political spectrum and listening to the news all the time. And I had never been more, I, have, I had never been less compassionate towards other people in my life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also angry with myself and, and feeling guilty for a whole bunch of stuff that I had no control over. And I saw the change in myself for me balance looks like not listening to the news and getting my news from personal experience and talking to people about their experiences and, and my community, which is all over the world and reaching out of my community to talk to people. That is what balance looks like as far as me getting in my information goes. And I saw the evolution in myself when I stopped listening to the news, stopped watching TV and started just really asking myself, what do I believe? And then I was so much more compassionate to people that thought differently and also realized like more about who I am. I'm still really on that process. I think there's so much, I think in 10 years, I won't even, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I learned so, I didn't even know back then who I am anyway. But I, I just saw that evolution in myself when I started making these changes to be less divisive. And then I saw it in my past partner. He did a similar thing where he's around the pandemic time, he stopped watching the news so much, which was so hard to do at that time, right? Because we're like, what's mm -hmm. happening? But he was having panic attacks. And uh, we were like, okay, what if, what if you just stopped watching the news? See what happened. Overnight, the panic mm -hmm. attacks subside, subsided and they didn't, um, you know, we still had to work with them and stuff like that, but it was that extreme in that case. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a cool way, Brian, that you, that you tied in the topic of divisiveness and our psychology. It's, I think it's really an important thing to talk about right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that propensity to split like that into categories of all good and all bad and all of that is, is rooted in, um, you know, a self-preservation instinct that we all have as humans. You know, you think back to, I don't know, pre-modern times and where your your tribal identity was what kept you alive you know if you think 
prior to like the industrial revolution and um, just in, even in ancient times and ancient civilizations, like you had to know like who you, who was for you and who was against you. Otherwise it was like a, a matter of life and death. And I think something of that got embedded into who we are. And so we're like almost hardwired to identify the evil other out there so that we can feel safe in here. Um, and, you know, psychologically how that's happening is like, we're fragmenting ourselves and projecting a part of ourself out there. Um, because we, we can't tolerate the split within us. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that whole idea is it's pervasive and, you know, it's like, we all do it. I don't think anybody's above it, but it is the developing the capacity to become curious about how might I be doing that right now? And if I have a real strong charge about what some, somebody else is doing that, like you said, I think is a clue to slow down and go, what's really getting stirred in me. Like what is, it certainly has something to do with what I'm seeing out in the world, but it also has something to do with what's getting stirred in my own being. Otherwise it wouldn't have this level of a charge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so cool. And yeah, I think that having the black and white, good, bad, yes, no, that two-sided way of looking at life we tend to like that. And I totally agree with what you're saying about like our survival instincts and what we had to do a long time ago and before we evolved to this point. Um, and also I know I instinctually like the yes, no, good, bad, super opinionated outlook because it seems easier at first mm -hmm. or it seems easier, you know, to me, it seemed easier to my younger mind that, okay, so this is bad. I know this is bad and this is good. It just seemed more organized. It seemed clearer. I know what I can avoid and shame. I know how to even, I know how to get people to like me more. If mm -hmm. I say, oh, this is my opinion. And this is the opinion that we're all quote unquote supposed to have in society right now, if you're a certain demographic and you live in a certain area so easily, I know, oh, I know how to get people on my good side. It's very, uh, logical and linear. And that's also how we were taught in the typical school system. So we think mm -hmm. that if we're very mathematical about everything, we will flourish in life. And that is, that just wasn't the case for me. And, um, but I think that's what attracts a lot of people. If I had to guess, I, I would think that mm -hmm. that attracts a lot of people to it because, uh, because we are kind of just taught that way in society. One of my another individual who will be on this podcast soon and um, someone that I just connected with, she said something to me the other day. She said, healing isn't linear. And I'm trying to just tell people mm. that I'm trying to just mm -hmm. tell people that healing isn't linear and we get mm, fed, so by, good. right? We mm -hmm. get fed again and again, that in whatever form, if it's on a podcast and there's a guest talking about their really beautiful, heroic, true story and what it looked like for them, how it gets communicated to us is often like, I got cured overnight and then things were just mm -hmm. great. And now I'm perfect. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. If I try this one thing or supplement or um, mm -hmm. practice this one thing, then I'll get good and, and balanced overnight. And then we won't have any problems anymore. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's not like that. We like almost all of us have, have had that experience in the healing world. And yeah, it's so cool to highlight that. I love that you're 
highlighting that. Um, hmm. And I do, Brian, I now I want to make sure that we have time to talk about how you, how your podcast came into fruition. Cause I think it's really cool. The process that you had behind that. So tell us about, hmm. you know, making a little shift here, but you know, we're still talking about a lot of self-development stuff. Tell us about how, why in the world came to be. Yeah, sure. Um, well, like as we were talking about before we hit record, um, I started it just prior to uh, COVID. It was like a couple months before COVID started that I think I launched my first episode. Um, and really, what it, the reason for me was that I just wanted to do something that made me really uncomfortable. It it terrifies me to turn on the microphone and and speak and then to release my voice into the world or and it's getting a, a little easier but I still feel it every time I do it um but it was I wanted to challenge myself to move outside my own comfort zone in some way um and so that was that was the initial initial drive for why I was doing that and um and the title of the podcast is why in the world and and the why in the world for me uh has become pretty central like i don't know i try to stay connected to what my why in the world is you know and and distinguishing that from my what's all the things that i'm doing and mm. um and the why feels connected to something deeper something more um i don't know how would i say it more on a, a being level like what's what's the most meaningful thing like we're here on this planet for a relatively short amount of time and so what is the thing that keeps me going and it's an evolving thing it's never a fixed thing for me but um the story that that emerged out of was uh, i own a counseling practice here in town and we have a number of different therapists and um i was talking with one of the therapists one day and we, we currently accept insurance and all that sort of thing. And she asked the question of like, well, what happens if insurance decides that they're no longer going to pay for our services? Then what? Do we have a backup plan? And I felt a surge of like panic almost like, oh shit, I don't have a backup plan. Like what if that does happen? And I kind of scrambled and floundered for a few days. And, um, and then I don't even know how to describe what happened other than it was like, the matrix slowed down a little bit and I could kind of see a little more clearly. And I had this moment of like, Oh, I was like, well, I'd be fine. You know, like if that happened because the practice itself is not my why. And I think before that I would have not been able to say that I would have thought like, yeah, this practice and what we're doing in the community is my why this is what I'm all about. Um, but I was confusing that with, it's actually the what and what I and the what I mean by that is like the practice is the channel through which my why happens to be manifesting itself in the world right now, you know. And if if the form, the the practice, if the form collapses, I'll have a lot of grieving to do and it'll be devastating and heartbreaking. And you know, a lot has gone into creating it and sustaining it and and I feel very proud of it and proud of the people I get to work with every day. And so there's a lot of beauty for me in what I get to do. Um, but there's a deeper thing that I was like, and my why would still be there and would find a different what, you know, it's like this core sense of like who I 
who I am somehow that I, I don't even fully know the fullness of that yet, you know, and I don't know if I ever will. Um, I probably won't, but uh, just this feeling of like, my why will find another form to express itself through. Um, and so that's the, uh, the drive behind the name, why in the world that, you know, there's the what's and then, but what's the why, you know, what's, what's really compelling any of us to do anything. And how do we, how do we distinguish between those so that we don't have to have such a rigid attachment to the what, and there's more of a, an ability to flow maybe with, with what life is bringing us. Yeah, totally. It takes so much pressure off, doesn't it? Even to hear you say that, I'm like, yeah, that's so true. And you see it. I also just see it. And like in people's lives that I look up to, for example, my role models, and they've been in, you know, a similar business as me for 10 years, 15 years. And that certain things did collapse in their lives or certain things they fell out of love with and they created something else that's still on the path of their mm -hmm. why. And I think that's so, it's such a cool way of looking at things. This is just the what and kind of reminds me of the whole sentiment of everything is temporary, you know, reminding mm -hmm. myself of that is humbling and can be uh, really soothing and also can be can bring out a lot of resistance in myself. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a cool, it's such a cool reminder to have. And so on, on the podcast, you're kind of talking about these topics. And I mean, of course, let's acknowledge the backstory of that is so awesome. Like it's, it's so profound, mm. but I don't need to add words to that. I think all the listeners are gonna, you know, let that marinate in their brains in their own way. <laughs> But in the actual podcast, you're you're talking about these topics um, kind of from for the perspectives of other therapists, correct? Yeah, I would say it's evolved into that. Um, in the beginning, I didn't. I, I, so here's a little backstory on me. I'm not a very detail oriented person, um, and so I didn't have like a big roadmap in terms of like how I was going to do the podcast, it really felt like I just need to start this thing and see what happens and um, see how it feels to myself in my own body, in my own mind, as I'm, you know, experimenting in this way. And so it really started as a, as an experiment in discomfort, maybe that's a way to say it. Um, but I work with a lot of therapists, as I mentioned, and I think this way of thinking about therapy and, and, and really embodying who we are as a therapist with another human being um, and that it's not just a tool or a technique. It's actually a, a way of being or a type of presence that we're offering that is the healing thing. Um, I'm going to get off on a little tangent here. So there's research that has actually shown that regardless of what therapy style you're trained in, it, that the outcome is determined almost exclusively by the quality of the relationship between the patient and the therapist. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's like, that's, that's the water that we're all swimming in. So whether it's you working with your clients or um, us relating to family members or to coworkers or to whatever, all the way down to working in the therapy room, there's something happening in the relationship. And, um, and so I, you know, just this passion about bringing that way of, of 
imagining the work to therapists feels like a, a fire that's lit in me. And so uh, with that, the, the podcast more recently has kind of taken on some clarity of purpose, I would say. And so I, I would say a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are licensed therapists, not exclusively. And, and I don't think you need to be a therapist to get something from it. Um, but my target audience would be licensed therapists because um, I really want these ideas to, to become more um, accessible and, and just in the world, I guess. So I've been having more uh, specifically psychotherapists on the show to kind of hear more about their own why. Um, the last three episodes were with um, relational psychoanalysts who have recently written books that I enjoyed. And so I just figured why, I mean, it's kind of terrifying to reach out to them because I have a little bit of like fanboy stuff going yeah. on with some of them. <laughs> uh, but as I was like, well, why not just ask? And so that felt like pushing my comfort zone a little bit to, mm. you know, just reach out through LinkedIn or wh however I could, you know, find a way to contact them and just see if they would be interested. And they've all three said yes. And um, and so like the channel, I guess, is getting a little more narrow on the podcast, but the, the why still feels still intact for me. Like it's a way for me to push my own edge and a way for me to hopefully move this way of being into the world, because I think it's far more than just about being a good therapist. I actually think this way of relating is a good way to be a human. Yeah, because you can transfer, like you said, to every every relationship that you have mm -hmm. relating in general, like how and mm -hmm. also how you relate to yourself and how you relate to life, even if we took other people away. It's so all encompassing. It's so cool. So how would mm -hmm. you we, we talked a lot around this topic, but how would you describe what your why is right now? Oh, that's a good question. I think I would have to say it's linked to that idea of integration of, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now. And I think the older that I get, the more just existential reality kicks in for me of like, I, I look at having lived 44 years and I'm like, where in the world did all that time go? And yeah. like, this realization, like I'm probably more than halfway done with my life. And, um, and so how do I live in a way that brings more life to myself and, and to those around me and those I come in contact with. And, and it involves like that integration piece of like, there's still so much of myself that is foreign to me. You know, I can feel that intuitively. Um, I don't even know what all those parts are yet. And it's like, um, but I want to make as much space as I can to allow these different parts to come into consciousness and to have a seat at that table. Um, because I think life becomes more, more vibrant and expansive that way. And, and if I, you know, the more of that I have, the more of that I can also offer to others, hopefully, and invite them into, um, and then they do the same in their spheres of, of life and relationships. And, and hopefully it kind of spreads exponentially and, and maybe has an impact on making the world a little bit better of a place. Yeah. Yeah. It's connected with everything else. I love it. I love it. 
So you mentioned this concept when you told me about which topics you wanted to talk about on here. And I want to see if we can manage to touch on it right before we end. Uh, you mentioned that you said we are formed in relationship, wounded in relationship and healed in relationship. And it kind of goes along with the whole, mm -hmm. whole topic of relating in general. Can you just give us a couple of sentences about what that means to you? And um, I think it's such a beautiful, another just beautiful reminder to have when you're moving through life. But like, what does that, what does that sentence mean to you specifically? And how do you work it into your practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a it's a phrase that one of my mentors um has said as long as I've known him. Uh he was a professor of mine in graduate school, and I work with him directly now in the continuing ed program that I teach in for therapists. And it's sort of the bedrock of working the way that we work and trying to to help others, you know, view the world this way, but, um, you know, I'll just, I'll say it one more time and then I'll try to unpack it, but it's this idea that we're formed in relationship, meaning that's how we come into the world. Like there's, uh, we come into the world through a relational channel with, you know, the, like whoever gives birth to us, there's an intimate connection of, um, even the nine months of, developing in the womb, right? And then this entrance into the world and um, this utter dependence initially on others for our own survival is relational. And it, and it has to do far less with thoughts and behaviors and much more with emotion and attunement and whether or not basic needs are being met or not met uh, or you know what happens and most trauma for example, has a relational undertone to it. You know, if it's severe neglect, it's like the absence of, of needed relationship at critical times. Or if it's abuse, it's like um, a relational type of harm that happens. And, and that all gets soaked into who we are and how we view the world. And so our sense of self is defined by the relationships that we find ourselves in and not just on a personal level, but even culturally, you know, like mm -hmm. um, our relationship to our culture, our relationship to the, the larger world, our relationship to otherness and other cultures. And um, we only know ourselves in relation to others. If there were no other humans here, I, I wouldn't have a sense of self. Yeah. Um, and and so that's what I mean when we're we're talking about this idea that we're formed in a relationship. I mean, it's literally the very first thing we know, and it's the the thing that is woven throughout every part of our life after that. Um, and then we're harmed in relationship is kind of what I was just saying about the different wounds that we take on. Um, you mentioned like maybe some somebody makes us a. a comment maybe it's a coach or a teacher or something that they say kind of flippantly but you take it in as like it means something bad about me or it means something good about me or whatever these moments that shape us and mark us and form us are relational in nature and so um that's that's that component and then we're healed in relationship is what we're talking about um you know, both therapeutically, but just in the way we relate to the world in general, there's 
potential for healing as these old patterns replay themselves over and over and over again, if they can be discovered and worked through to a different outcome, that's a relational outcome. It's not a, a behavioral outcome necessarily. It impacts behavior perhaps, but it's not the, it's not the primary focus. And so um, in, in the therapy realm, it's like, if the relationship is the transformative piece, how do I really attune to what's happening in the relationship and find a way for the two of us to talk about that? Um, because something's trying to reveal itself and work itself through. And it, we'd, I mean, that's the opportunity for healing essentially. And so I, that's how I would kind of summarize that idea. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It really, it makes me tear up because it's nice to have that validated that we need other people. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that I've dipped my toes in and out and in and out of because of course everything isn't black and white, at least in my mm -hmm. world. So, you know, sometimes I feel like I really need to just fully, no, I need to feel self-sustainable. Sometimes I feel like I need to feel self-sustainable. And sometimes I feel like, no, I really need this support. I really need to validate the mm -hmm. support. And I think a lot of us need to hear that, that, um, that our lives are so shaped by uh, the relationships that we have. And you, this conversation has just been so really healing for me. And I think, mm. I think a lot of other listeners will agree. And I just, I just feel what you say so much, so deeply, Brian, and it, it makes me emotional, which means that uh, what you're teaching is healing for me, which probably means that I could benefit personally from the work that you're doing <laughs> as a therapist. So Brian Nixon, psychotherapist, founder of Mindful Counseling GR, host of Why in the World podcast, and co-founder of the Relationally Focused Psychodynamic Therapy Program. Thank you so much for being here with us. We just appreciate you so much. Uh, it's been a delight, Emily. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you today. If you get value out of this podcast, please share it with at least one person today. If you don't know anyone else who would get value out of this podcast, please subscribe on your listening platform of choice and follow me on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening. Your support means so much to me. It helps me gain momentum to keep bringing on awesome guests to this podcast and to keep spreading the word of self-empowerment and natural health to more and more people. That is so important. And if you're feeling called to work with me on one-to-one -one self-development techniques, DM me on Instagram or email me at emily at rootawakening.co. The information on my communication and boundaries course is in the show notes, and you can also subscribe to my email tribe in the show notes as well. I love you. Thank you for being here. Catch you next time.